And you know, we, we live in a culture that's starved for experience. Any kind of, ex- any kind of experience. Uh, uh, and I'm, I'm referring to like a spiritual or some people would say a mystical experience. There are people in this world that are starved for a, a deep experience, any kind of deep experience of the soul. And I think the reason might be that we live in such a secular culture, such a secular society that reduces everything down to, to facts and figures, to numbers and stats, reduces everything down to products and merchandise and, and, and to uh, income and making more money. And because the economy is, is booming, people are saying, yeah, that's what I'm about. You know, so every, you know, everything is just about numbers Everything's about forms, about procedures. And unfortunately, along with that, this, this approach to life that reduces everything to, like I said, to facts and figures, products and merchandise, forms and figures, it also reduces our feelings down to a matter of, of, of chemicals in our bodies, change of you know, chemicals in our bodies, or, or maybe... Uh, reduces our feelings to an ev- environmental expression, the way we were grow- the, w- the way we grew up, or the the setting in which we're living now. That's what our feelings are attached to. Everything is reduced down to to the bottom line, to to lowest common denominator, so that it can be explained, so it can be controlled somewhat. And so, it sadly, in this type of environment in which we're growing, a very mechanical, very scientific environment. We're, we're told, and, and our kids are taught in the schools, at, in the universities especially, that there is no such thing as God. And because there is no such thing as God, then really there's no such thing as a soul. We don't really have souls. You know, we live, we're an accident, as it were, and when we die, you know, we just cease to exist. There's no soul that goes either to heaven or to hell. There's no soul here on earth that we have to worry about. We just worry about the mathematical, about the scientific, about the facts and figures, everything uh, that is just, you know, mechanical in, in nature. And that's sad, but, you know, what I have learned uh, is that in spite of that teaching, and even people who believe that, even among them, there is this incredible, almost desperate rush to get into anything, any kind of a, of an, uh, of a, uh, a situation, any kind of an experience that will give them a mystical experience, or we would say a spiritual experience. People are looking for a mystical experience, and because they say, well, I don't believe in God, they actually try to find a mystical experience through the back door, through through some other experiences. For example, there's a, uh, you and I know this, there's a heavy interest with many people into Eastern religions. There's a, a heavy interest in the New Age movement, which a New Age movement is just Eastern religions, which has been contextualized for the West. There's a lot of interest in the occult, a lot of interest in the occult. Others have tried to satisfy their need for a mystical experience, for a satisfying spiritual experience by getting into, into meditation or by getting into counseling or therapy or psychology. And I'm not opposed to counseling or therapy or psychology. I think those things can be helpful, but those things will never satisfy the deep longings of the soul by themselves. They will never satisfy those things. Only God can satisfy our souls. 
I was listening to something that author and pastor, Dr. Tim Keller from New York City said about all these things, about, you know, the, the interest in the New Age teachings, the occult, the whole uh, uh, interest in the meditation and so on. Like I said, some people even uh, use a sexual experience to, as, as, you know, trying to find satisfaction for their lives. And, and I thought something he said about all, this was very, about all this was very interesting. He said that all these things are substitutes for prayer. Because prayer is our connection with God. Face to face with God, as it were. Prayer is our connection with God. And when there is no prayer, there is no connection with God. There is a vacuum that's left in our lives because we don't pray. Or maybe because we don't know how to pray. And because of this vacuum, then we begin to look for this mystical experience and all these other things which don't satisfy. Now again, this doesn't mean that if if you do pray, you never need any other kind of help, any other kind of counseling or, or therapy. Doesn't mean that at all. But it does mean that no amount of therapy, no amount of sex, no amount of religion will take the place of the deep soul experience of intimacy with God through prayer. That experience of coming into the presence of the Father. We spoke about the Father last Sunday morning and, and how deep that relationship is and what that means, what are the implications for us as the children. And so that experience of, of a, having a, a deep soul intimacy with God, coming into His presence, meeting Him face to face spiritually, experiencing communion with Him. That's the experience that people are looking for. Prayer is, I think, that mystical, that spiritual experience people are looking for. But because they, they don't believe in God, or because maybe they do believe in God, but they're too busy with, with life, too busy with their children, too busy with their jobs, that even if they do believe in God, they, they don't have this experience, and so they try to find the satisfaction of the soul in other ways. So prayer is necessary to satisfy the soul. But I believe that there's even a a deeper experience of prayer that fills this need that we all have. All of us have this need for the mystical. And that is not just prayer, but praying in tongues. That's what I want to talk to you about today. In fact, we're going to start this today. And then Wednesday, in our our Wednesday service, we're all going to meet together because I want the youth to be there. I want the children to be there as I teach just a little bit more on praying in tongues. And then we're going to have... A time of seeking God and seeking uh, uh, this communion, this intimacy with God. And I'll teach some more about that. But let me tell you what I want to talk about today. This is uh, our big idea for today. And that is that praying in tongues is the mystical and spiritual experience that many people are desperately searching for. Praying in tongues, praying in general, but I think even more specifically, praying in tongues is a mystical and spiritual experience that many people are desperately searching for. Now, let's be real careful to understand that this doesn't mean that praying in tongues is an end to itself. It's not like we're, we're trying to accomplish to have this gift of praying in tongues and once we get it, okay, I've received it, I got it. And now I can just... Live my life because I got it. At some point back 10 years ago, I got it. As if it's just an it that we get. But praying in tongues is, is not an end of itself. 
uh, to itself, but it's actually a sign of a deeper experience with God. We call this a baptism in the Holy Spirit. It's a sign. We, we say this is the initial physical evidence, and we'll talk more about that, of a deeper experience with God, a subsequent experience that comes after salvation, a subsequent experience that comes after we've been saved. Now, praying in tongues refers to praying in a language that we never studied or learned. Many, many of you have taken uh, language in school, uh, probably Spanish. How many of you took Spanish in school? Any of you take, any of you take French, German, other languages? I took German uh, in college. I took French and other language uh, dictions. My wife and I both did for our degree. Uh, we had several languages, but in terms of an, an actual language class, uh, I took German here at Angelo State with uh, Dr. Otto Tetzlaff. O-T-T-O, Otto Tetzlaff. He's, he, he told us one time that he would get mail addressed to A-U-T-O, Otto Tetzlaff. But it was O-T-T-O. And uh, he was an excellent um, German teacher. But that's not... And so, you know, I know a few phrases in German. But uh, praying in tongues is, is not speaking in a tongue that we learned, that we studied and we learned, but it refers to praying in a language that we never studied or learned. It could be an earthly language or a dialect. It could be a heavenly language. It could be an unknown language, Paul says. Uh, but it's something we never learned, we never studied, and yet it's a gift that God gives us. Now, according to the Ethnologue website, which is considered to be a, a reputable website for this information, there are over 7,100 languages in the world. And although that, that figure is dropping, some languages are being lost, and some languages are spoken just by a small uh, number of people, that's still a lot of languages. And like I said, it could be something that is unknown. It could be something that is a heavenly language that we don't even speak here on earth. There are so many possibilities. Uh, many of you know I have a little part-time job tutoring Students at Lakeview who have come from, uh, mainly from Mexico, other Latin American countries, and I just interpret for them and help them with, with their assignments. And uh, we get a lot of students that are directly from Mexico uh, or another Central American country mostly and have no knowledge of the language. And so it's part of my job to help them uh, understand and learn. And, and uh, they've got their reading classes and other classes that help them, that help them. But uh, last year we had a student who was from uh, the southernmost state of Mexico, Chiapas, which is right next to uh, Guatemala. And he came from Chiapas, and he was actually, uh, you know, kind of a, uh, from an Indian community. They had their own dialect. He spoke Spanish, but he also, his primary language was not Spanish. It was some other dialect. And he was actually rescued uh, here, uh, he was rescued in Abilene from a, um, a, a smuggling ring. So he was rescued. He was brought to San Angelo. He lived in a home here for a while, and he went to school with us. And so I got to know him and sat down and talked to him. And he's, uh, I felt really bad for him. He was, I think, 15 years old, maybe 14, looked really young, scared to death. His grandparents, he grew up with his grandparents, were in Chapas, and he had come up here with some other man, and then uh, they began to take advantage of him. So he was rescued from that. And uh, he, you know, he was looking at the school. This is a huge school. He told me Spanish. And I, and I asked him, so say something to me. Because we sat down. I kind of took him out of the classroom. We just went to go visit with him a few minutes to kind of build some rapport. 
And I asked him about his dialect. He told me what it's called. I, you know, I didn't understand. I said, say something to me in your dialect. Like say, good morning, how are you? Or something. And he did. And I don't know why I asked him that because I didn't understand any of it. Except it sounded really cool. Really cool to hear that. It was just sounds to me. But uh, that's, uh, that's maybe some of the sounds that we hear when we hear people praying in tongues. Sometimes they don't, well, they don't make sense if we don't know, if we don't know the language, but they sometimes don't even sound like a language. Don't even sound like a dialect, but they are. When I heard this young man speak, it just sounded like a bunch of, of uh, made-up sounds that a child might be making, but he was, you know, was actually speaking in his dialect. So praying in tongues refers to praying in a language that we never studied or learned. It's a gift that God has given us. But here's the next question. Why? Why did God... Uh, promise and why does he give this gift of praying in tongues? What is the purpose? What is the purpose of praying in tongues? And that's what I want to talk to you about today because Jesus made it clear to his disciples that it was to their advantage if he were to go away and if the Holy Spirit were to come. And the Holy Spirit did come on the day of Pentecost. We're going to read about that here in a minute. He came on the day of Pentecost when the 120 followers of Jesus were all baptized in the Holy Spirit, and they spoke in other tongues. And this is the advantage that Jesus was talking about. This is the subsequent experience that I'm talking about today that comes after salvation, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And it continues to be to our advantage today to be filled with the Holy Spirit, with the initial physical evidence of speaking in other tongues. So praying in tongues has several purposes, and I want to go through these today. First of all, the purposes of praying in tongues, first of all, confirmation. The first purpose of, of praying in tongues is confirmation. Because this is the first outward sign, we call this the initial physical evidence of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Speaking in tongues or praying in tongues. Read with me Acts 2, verses 1 through 4. Follow along as I read this out loud. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. All right, so what we read here is that the Holy Spirit gave them this ability to speak in an unknown language. They were... Uh, these disciples were, were speaking in, in other languages and they were speaking forth the, the wonders of God. Now, speaking in tongues, to some people, they say, well, that just sounds like a, a bunch of gibberish. It's, it's just nonsense. I've heard this. It's just nonsense. And, and sometimes it sounds that way. It, it certainly did to the people who heard the disciples on this occasion. Because some of them said, what does that sound? They sound like they're drunk. And when people are drunk, sometimes, you know, at the very least, they slur their words. And, and you know, at worst, you know, they're making a bunch of, of sounds when it comes to their speaking. And so it, it must have sounded like gibberish. It must, it must have sounded like some kind of, of nonsense. nonsense. Uh, but it's not any of that. Uh, Peter stood up and said, no, uh, these men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's, it's too early in the morning for them to be drinking. So speaking in tongues is not gibberish, it's not nonsense, it's not something that we do in an ecstatic experience. Some people think that when people are baptized in the Holy Spirit and they speak in tongues, it's like they go into this trance. 
Some kind of ecstatic experience where we're not in control of our minds. That's not it at all. We're in total control. Uh, the, the Spirit is, is subject to, to the prophet, Paul said. So we're in total control. What it is, is, is this releasing from our hearts this, this, this gushing of praise to God. But since it's in a language that we don't understand, and we may not understand what we're saying, but it's understood by God, and, and we're going to see in a minute, it's also uh, healing to our souls. Because when we pray in tongues, our souls are being cleansed. And this is the experience that many people are looking for. This is why, why they're looking into the New Age religion, and they're looking into the, you know, going to India like, like the Beatles did, you know, back in the 60s, going you know, to, to try to find this this peace, this harmony or whatever, however they might have expressed this. And, uh, and this is why people are going into the meditation and all the other experiences because they, they're looking for a cleansing of the soul, for a healing of the soul. And when we're praying in tongues, our souls are being cleansed, but also something powerful and something deep is happening in us. Psychologically, something deep is happening in, in us. Emotionally, there's healing taking place. Spiritually, something is happen, happening within, within us. This is a mystical and a spiritual experience that so many people are desperate for. The people today in our culture, a lot of people face depression. They get depressed. I get depressed. You get depressed. We... we, we we hit head on into life and the things that life, you know, hits us with. And, you know, we get down some people more than others. Some people were a deeper depression than others. And what an antidote to that the Holy Spirit is. Amen. And the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Nobody was depressed on the day of Pentecost. Did you notice that? Nobody was depressed. They're so filled with joy that people mistook their words and their joy for them being drunk. They think they're drunk at 9 in the morning. Boy, you know, we need a, a, a good shot of that joy for our lives. Of that cleansing for our souls that the Holy Spirit gives. There were other signs that, that we read about that happened on that day. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that came to rest on them. There, there was a sound like the blowing of a violent wind. But those signs were not repeated again in Scripture. But the sign of them speaking in tongues was repeated several times in Scripture. And this is why we draw from that, that this is the initial physical evidence. This is the confirmation of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. So that's one purpose of praying in tongues. Another purpose of praying in tongues is adoration. Adoration. Because our own language is inadequate. Think about how finite our mind is and our thinking and our vocabulary. Our own language is inadequate to totally and to freely express our worship to God. We want to tell Him how much He means to us. And sometimes we end up repeating the same words over and over again. Have you ever heard this? In your, in your own prayer, you say the same thing over and over again, or maybe in, in somebody else's prayer next to you, because our, our language is not adequate to freely express our heart's worship to God. And so praying in tongues, or another phrase from the Bible, praying in the Spirit, praying in tongues allows us to communicate a worship to God that is inexpressible in our own limited vocabulary. So let's look back at Acts 2. Beginning with verse 5, right after we read 
this first part, Acts 2.5. Now, there were stayed in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. They were, they, they were there, rather, for the, the Feast of Pentecost. So, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears him in our own native language? And then those uh, languages, those countries and languages are listed. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. So the miracle was that, that they, were, they were speaking in unknown tongues, and, and this verse here fills in the gap that they were speaking in the tongues of these, in the languages of these people. They not just only heard them, so the miracle wasn't that they were speaking in English, and they heard them in their own language, as some have taught. But the miracle was that they were speaking in other tongues, verse 4 says. They were speaking in tongues that didn't, they hadn't learned. And then verse 11 fills in the gap that there were the languages of these, of these people. But I want to draw this to, this, uh, to your attention that, that they were declaring, look back at verse 11, declaring the wonders of God in these other languages. Because when we pray in tongues, we're worshiping God, adoration, praise. We're also declaring the wonders of God, we were declaring, declaring the magnific, magnific, uh, magnific, I'll say it right, magnificence of God. We're declaring His works, His character, the things that we never quite can get just right in English or in Spanish, if that's our, our language. Because maybe, for one thing, we're not really uh, able to understand all that there is to understand about God, His greatness. How can our finite Minds as educated as we might be understand the, the, the uh, greatness of God. We can't. And so how can we praise Him in our own words, in our own language? How can we praise the greatness of God if we can't really comprehend? So it takes the Spirit of God to give us His gift of praying in tongues so we can suddenly release this worship and this praise and this adoration to God in a way that we couldn't do it in our own limited human way. No wonder that experience is such a joyful experience. And so adoration is one of the purposes of praying in tongues. A third purpose of praying in tongues is edification. Edification. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 14, 4. In, in, in this first letter to the Corinthians, he, he taught a lot about speaking in tongues, praying in tongues. And, and so in 1 Corinthians 14, 4, he writes, anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. So praying in tongues, praying in the Spirit edifies or it builds up. How many of you need some building up every once in a while? Praying in tongues builds up in two ways. It builds us up as individuals. When we pray in tongues, when I pray in tongues, I'm built up. My soul is strengthened when I pray in the Spirit. And he teaches, and I'm not going to go into this right now too deeply, but he teaches in, in this chapter of 1 Corinthians about uh, not only praying in tongues, but also giving a message in tongues. So somebody might get up in a, in, a, in a setting where the people of God are gathered, such as this morning, and give a message in another 
language, give a message in tongues, then either that person or another person will be led by the Spirit to give the interpretation of that message. And so that's why he said, if you're praying in tongues, you're building yourself up. If you're giving a message in tongues, you build up the church through that message and interpretation. And by the way, just in case you don't know the difference between interpretation and translation, a translation is a word-for-word message of what was given in in the first language. And interpretation is when you give the idea of the message. When I help my students, the ELL students, um, most of the time I interpret for them. I'm not going to do a word-for-word interpretation or translation, rather, of what the teacher is saying. But I listen to a teacher saying, and I'll just just interpret. And so I give them the general idea. And, And they understand that. This is why if you've ever been in a service where there is a message in tongues and then an interpretation, sometimes the message in tongues is really long and the interpretation is short. When I was a kid, I thought, well, I was a child that listened to that, or even as a teenager, I said, that didn't really match up in length. Or maybe it was the other way around. It was a short message in tongues and a long interpretation. I was like, wait a minute, he didn't speak that much. And that's because it's not a a direct word-for-word translation, but an interpretation is given the idea of what was said. But the point is here that in, in either case, whether it's personally or in a group setting, praying in tongues edifies us. It builds us up. How many times have you felt just beaten up by life's circumstances? We know that life is hard. Life is hard. And we also know that we have an enemy. The devil who walks about, Peter said, like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So... Satan is not trying to just give you a hard time, not trying to make life difficult. He's trying to destroy you. He wants to destroy you, destroy your children. He's seeking to devour us as God's children. And so we face those attacks. We face life circumstances and we face attacks by the enemy. And and when we learn to go to God and worship and we pray in tongues, this builds us up. It strengthens our faith and it lifts our spirits. Dr. George O. Wood has said that uh, praying in tongues is also a means by by which our non-cognitive side can reach out to God. By which our non-cognitive side can reach out to God. Now, cognitive, that word cognitive has to do with thinking and reasoning. That's our cognitive side. When we we think, we reason, we remember, all that is cognitive. So non-cognitive would then be something that's not based on intellectual activity. That doesn't mean that, you know, that we have to, you know, put our, our, our thinking, our reasoning skills at the door when we pray. Not that at all, but rather that... It it refers to the mystical and the spiritual experience that people are seeking. That's a non-cognitive side. Sometimes we want to be able to understand everything about God and put Him in a box that we can understand. And so we live the way that I explained at the very beginning in my introduction. We live in a way that everything is brought down to a level that includes numbers and figures, stats, whatever, that, that allows us to understand. When it comes to God... Because we are a spirit the way that God is a spirit. Because we have a soul, there's a part of us that is non-cognitive that we cannot ignore. 
And so what Dr. Wood teaches is that praying in tongues is a way that our non-cognitive side can reach out to God. We can only reach out to God intellectually to a certain extent. Now, Paul actually explains this in 1 Corinthians 14, 15. Look at this, 1 Corinthians 14, 15. What am I to do? He writes, I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. See, we have a spirit and we have a mind. So we we worship God in, in two ways. We worship Him through the cognitive side with our mind, but we also worship Him with our non-cognitive side, with our spirit. And in our relationship with God, this non-cognitive side of us is a side that needs to be built up in Christ just as much, if not more, than our cognitive side. And so praying in tongues allows us for us to be edified. And finally... Praying in tongues, another purpose of praying in tongues is intercession. Intercession. This is what Paul writes to the, to the Ephesians in Ephesians 6, 18. He says to them, and pray in the Spirit. Remember I said praying in the Spirit refers to praying in tongues. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep praying for all the Lord's people. You know what that means? You know what that refers to? Always keep praying for all the Lord's people. That's called intercession. When we intercede, we're praying for someone else. And so he says, he connects it to, he says, praying the Spirit with all kinds of prayers and requests. And with this in mind, always keep praying for all the Lord's people. God uses us to work His purposes in the lives of other people through the ministry of intercession, through the ministry of prayer and praying in tongues. I can intercede for somebody in my natural language. I can intercede for someone in, in English or in Spanish, or I can intercede for someone in the Spirit or in tongues. And, and this gift of the Holy Spirit, this gift of praying in tongues, enables us to pray beyond our understanding, beyond our wisdom. We've heard throughout the years, and you have too, many testimonies of, of people who, who were moved by God to pray, sometimes in the middle of the night, moved by God to pray for a certain person, might be somebody in their family, a child, might be somebody in the church, somebody that they know in their extended family, or somebody they work with, and, and, and so they're moved, and they begin to intercede for that person, only to find out days later that at that exact time, that person was going through a crisis. And God moved the, that person to pray for them, to intercede for them in the Holy Spirit. And so it's, it's, it's a, it's a um, privilege that we have to intercede for anyone. And we can do it not only with the knowledge, not only with our minds, as Paul said, but also with our spirits when we pray in tongues. But I want you to know also that intercession is not just about others interceding for us. Or us interceding for others. But intercession is also about the Holy Spirit interceding for us. I want you to think about, uh, about that uh, and how powerful that is. How life changing that is. That intercession is about the Holy Spirit interceding for us. Here's what Paul writes in Romans 8.26. He says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, 
But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Wordless groans. And I love 27. Look at the next verse. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, and because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Now I love that. So sometimes... We might be praying in the Spirit. We might be praying in, in, in tongues or maybe praying in English and suddenly we're moved to, to, to pray in a way that we don't even have the words, not in English or Spanish or any other language you might know, not even in tongues, but simply with groans. Simply with groans, we come to know from this teaching that the Spirit of God is interceding for us. So next time you hear somebody groaning, it's not that they don't have any more words in the Spirit. Not that they run out of words, but maybe the Spirit is interceding for them or interceding for someone else through those groans. You see how, how this describes that mystical experience that people are looking for. People are paying money to go into meditation, to go into New Age religion, to go into counseling and therapy, psychology, apart from God. They're paying money uh, to, to get into so many experiences that they're looking for that mystical. Do you see it described when you picture that child of God on their knees? Spending intimate time of prayer with God, praying in the Spirit, and then groaning in the Spirit. And things are happening to their soul. Things are happening to their spirit. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. So those are some of the purposes of praying in tongues. Confirmation of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Adoration, taking us to a new level and worshiping God. Edification, we all need that. We need our, our souls to be built up. And intercession, us interceding for others and the Spirit of God interceding for us. Let me finish with this. I don't have to tell you that there are signs all around us that these are the last days that Jesus taught, Jesus spoke about. This is a time to draw near to God. We're seeing all these signs that Jesus left for us. And He said, when you see these things happen, He said, lift up your, your heads because your redemption is drawing near. And we're seeing a lot of these things happening. So this is a time. This is a time to draw near to God. And this is a time to seek the baptism of the Holy Spirit with initial physical evidence of speaking in tongues. This is a time to seek rest for our souls. To, to, to seek that spiritual experience, that mystical experience that we might be looking for in other areas, other relationships. People, and I didn't, I didn't even get, get into people who look for this satisfaction through taking care of their bodies without God to, you know, being involved in, in, in sports and so many other relationships and things, so many other things that we, we're trying to find satisfaction for our souls. So this is a time to do that by coming to God. And by understanding that in a culture that is starved for experience, which people are paying lots and lots of money to try to find that soul healing experience, they can only find it, we can only find it in God, specifically through prayer and more directly through praying in tongues. And so I want to continue this message, this teaching on Wednesday. I'm going to invite you to if you don't regularly come on Wednesdays, to make an effort to be there this Wednesday because we're going to devote some time um, in learning and in seeking God. We're going to do that this morning too. 
but I want to continue this Wednesday, so I invite you to come and be a part of that. As, as we're still here at the beginning of the new year, let's set the tone for 2020. Set the tone by seeking God, by seeking all that God has for us. Would you bow for prayer? Father, we're so thankful for your word. I thank you so much that you're constantly teaching us. We have so much to learn and uh, so far to go. Lord, you're not a God who hides from us daily, but you're a God who says to us that if we seek you, we will find you. If we search for you with all our heart, we will find you. And that's what we need to find you. That's what we need to understand that we may be substituting other experiences for the experience of intimacy with you through prayer and specifically through the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Forgive us, God, for the times that we've done that. Forgive us if we are still substituting something for prayer, trying to find satisfaction for our souls, for ourselves and our families through other things other than intimacy with you. Today, Lord, we commit to turning our lives around and to turning our lives into that direction to draw close to you, to seek your faith. We want all that you have for us, Father. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.